come up and talk to you, as I said earlier, about the performance contract and um, do this fairly quickly on a, on a somewhat complex uh, budgetary topic that I think most of you are, are familiar with. She's going to also tell you that uh, if you've got questions, um, uh, she's going to be available between now and sir, July 18th. Is that when we're voting? 11. July 11th. Okay. So it's beyond your agenda for a July 11th, but we've got state requirements to give you uh, 15 years notice. I mean, 15 days notice for the time. So, um, 15 years is a little long. So thank you very much. Those of you that have had have seen this before, um, you'll be really pleased that this is five slides in five minutes. Um, go. Way to go. Huh? Go. Yeah, Tommy, <laughs> Tommy's going to count because see, and then he's going to text Winter and tell him I did. Okay. <clears throat> so um, whoa, hi. Okay. So um, I haven't seen the new version. The, so there's, oh, is this an overview? There we go. Okay, thanks. Kim gave me an overview. So the overview is purpose, uh, comparison with FY17, and some takeaways. So the purpose of the performance contract is to establish base funding from the Department of Behavioral Health um, and Developmental Services to the Norfolk Community Services Board. It also establishes DBHGS's service, operational, and reporting expectations of us and establishes the responsibilities of DBHDS to the Community Services Boards. And then there's a third part that establishes the expectations of partnership and collaboration in working together as we serve our consumers. And this is why Kim usually doesn't let me click myself. Um, so now we're caught up again. Um, there is no monetary change. So this performance contract also <coughs> initiates uh, the contract value for $12,447,841. It's terrible. Um, there, we, there were some minor changes um, in content and expectations. There are significant changes to reporting. There's some changes in assessments that we're having to use and changes in productivity expectations. Uh, many of these items are in much more detail in the performance contract itself and are following the recommendations of the General Assembly this past year. <coughs> Some takeaways. The performance contract that you will approve is a base. The state will then send additional performance contract funds for targeted programs. Typically, these are ones that we compete for with other CSBs or partner uh, with them to get it. Uh, so they will send the additional performance contract funds for targeted programs. Uh, the ones that we know will be Permit Supportive Housing, Crisis Intervention Team, and PACT. Those all live in SRs, and they come to you separately uh, to approve the receipt of those funds. Their performance contract was posted by us as required for public comment on May 16th and will remain open through June 16th. Um, any comments will be forwarded to the City Council uh, prior to the voting session. We'll send them to Kim. The um, NCSB Board of Directors reviewed it on May 24th, had a work session. They will vote to approve on June 28th, and then that allows the freedom for City Council to go before City Council. And we are uh, still, I think we're still hoping to hit the July 11th um, session for that. And so you can access the full contract if you have a desire on the Department of Behavioral Health website. Kim is going to drop in your Dropbox the letter from the commissioner that went to the CSBs as a live link that will take you directly to the contracts page where you can click on the three portions of the contract directly. If you have any questions, city manager <coughs> says it's okay for you to email me directly. And so do you have any questions now?
How'd I do? Thank you very much for your time. Minutes. All right. Sarah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, uh, well done. Um, Villa Marina, Jared Chalk is going to step up, and it's a project that I think you, you all have been familiar with. It's been um, uh, in the works for a little while, uh, has all the approvals it needs. Uh, they're going after a particular kind of financing that requires a, just a, simply a resolution of support uh, from the city council, and Jerry wants to talk you through what that looks like. Yeah, so Villa Marina, um, you guys uh, have already approved it uh, two years ago, but we wanted to bring back to you and talk about this financing package. Um, so project overview, a site plan, I'll run through the renderings again, we'll talk about the financing and then a quick recommendation. Uh, the project's being done by uh, Russell Turner, um, TST Technologies, TST Construction, uh, they're a uh, Norfolk-based business in Central Commerce Park. Um, great company. Um, what he's doing is 106 units and 13,000 square feet on Shore Drive. Um, project was previously endorsed by the Civic League. Planning Commission approved it seven to nothing in uh, uh, November of 15. Council approved it in December 15, and then it went to ARB in uh, January of 16. Um, here's a look at the site plan. There's three retail buildings up on Shore Drive. Um, here's the marina, and then the residential building is on the back with the pool. Um, got a couple pictures. This is when you're approaching the building, looking at the retail spaces, offshore drive. Um, this is the back um, pool, elevated. All the residential units are up, up above uh, podium parking. Um, so the issue here is uh, it sits just outside the East Ocean View redevelopment area. Um, when you use this VHDA uh, financing and you have a commercial space included with the development and you're outside of that area, it requires a council letter of support. So if it was uh, didn't have the commercial space, they wouldn't need a council letter of support. If they were in the um, revitalization area, they wouldn't have to have a uh, council letter of support. So they're coming to us asking for additional resolution, supporting the project, which allows them to uh, get their financing uh, to complete the development. Um, so what this financing does is 80% of the units are going to be market rate. And then 20% are rented at 80% of the area median income. So 20% of the units have to be rented to, to a family making less than $58,000 a year. Is that a family of four? I think so. I'll check. But yeah, I think it's a family of four. In the state, area median, area median income is about 62. So, um, so what they're asking for us is at the next council meeting, we support uh, our, uh, a resolution for the project to be financed through this loan program. Just a quick question, um, if you can go back. Who, the blue boundaries, who set that zone? Um, I think y'all did. What is it? What, what did you call it? What is that blue Revitalization zone? area. What? East Ocean View Redevelopment and Conservation Area is what it So says. it's not based off of the Civic League's boundaries? Probably not. I think, yeah. Bernard, I think this is something that would have been adopted by the Housing Authority in all likelihood. Uh, it's not the Housing Authority yeah. was the initiator, right. and the final approval was by this council for this redevelopment okay. area. You just may want to double check because um, according to what I know, the redevelopment area should go all the way up to Little Creek Road. Because and the only reason why I know that is because the old Cheetahs um, Gentlemen's Club that was next to 7-Eleven over there was purchased with NRHA funds right. as part of the redevelopment conservation area. We, we talked to John today and verified. I mean, maybe did they take did they change it since then? I don't know the answer to that. We'll find out for you. But John, okay. John was at our development action team meeting this morning and 
Yeah. Okay. I took that image off the plan Norfolk 2030. Okay. So. All right. Angela? Is this a LATEC project? No. Okay. What's the difference? Um, it sits just outside of the conservation area, and it's got ground floor retail. So if this, if this project was, say, in downtown, it wouldn't be coming here. Okay. It, it just happens to sit outside the district. Okay. Right. So it'll be on your agenda uh, Tuesday night. I think, I think fairly straightforward. Um, and they'll go through their process and hopefully get their financing in place. Uh, Bernard, if you want to make any comments about uh, Cindy's presentation. Um, uh, sure. Uh, you all uh, know Cindy, so I don't have to introduce her. Um, after uh, a recent special exception uh, was revoked and they were delinquent in taxes, there was some concern about. Uh, holders of special exceptions being delinquent in taxes and not uh, receiving um, prompt or the same treatment. And so that uh, Cindy put together a group and has a draft of a protocol for um, uh, collecting, dealing with uh, holders of special exceptions that are delinquent on their food and beverage and sales taxes, uh, those fiduciary taxes. And the protocol that the group has proposed is drafted and before you today and it ends uh, after a series of steps with a proposed revocation before you. So Cindy will walk you through that, and this is your first cut at it, and um, um, you can give us feedback today or later. Good evening, everyone. Um, before you is a document which is just a draft at this point, but um, it lays out a process for uh, meals tax and how that intersects with the special <coughs> exception process. And there's really two kinds of meals tax delinquencies. And by meals tax, we mean food and beverage tax. Um, there's a regular meals tax delinquency, and there's an audit meals tax delinquency. <coughs> and meals taxes are considered fiduciary taxes under Virginia law. But for the regular meals tax delinquency, um, those taxes are due by the 20th of each month after the, uh, the establishment operator submits their actual sales receipts. If the meals taxes are not uh, remitted to the city by that due date of, of the 20th of each month, a 10-day letter is sent by the Commissioner of Revenue, and that's attachment one, which is in your handout. That 10-day letter requires that the taxes be paid within 10 days, and if they're not, the Commissioner of Revenue um, has the option of pursuing criminal charges, and that has been their policy to uh, institute criminal summons uh, charges. Um, in addition, if not paid by that 10, day, 10 days after the letter is sent, the treasurer also has the option of placing a tax lien on the bank account and may also levy on the cash till and fixtures. Um, in addition, if the location holds a special exception, um, the zoning administrator is notified that the 10-day letter has gone out and the taxes have not been paid, and that generates an inspection by the zoning inspector of that uh, establishment, and you see the copy or a draft of a special exception notice of violation that's attachment two in your handout. Um, the inspection will notify if there's uh, will notify the operator if there's any discrepancies um, in the operation of the establishment that's not in keeping with the special exception conditions that city council has set. Um, that special exception uh, notice provides. Uh, detailed information and the operator is given a chance to comply. If the um, operator has not complied with the notice of violation, 
the city attorney's office then sends out a, uh, a final letter, which is attachment three of your handout, and that final letter advises them that the, the operator, that they have 30 days to uh, correct the violations that are noted in the notice of violation. So there's a process where the operator is given um, multiple, um, uh, multiple information as to how to comply and to uh, correct the situation. Um, if the meals taxes are still outstanding after 30 days after the final letter, um, a packet will be prepared and presented to the city manager's office for submittal to city council to begin the process for a revocation hearing of the special exception. Now, with respect to the audit meals tax delinquencies, and by audit meals tax delinquencies, we mean those businesses where the Commissioner of Revenue has done an audit of the, the books of the operator, and that's usually generated by um, uh, filings that are submitted to the ABC board or to the state tax departments that don't jive with the records that have been submitted to the Commissioner of Revenue. If the uh, paperwork is not consistent, an audit uh, list is generated, and that business may end up on the audit list. Those are the situations that are not regular um, delinquencies on a monthly basis. Um, that audit list is sent to the city attorney's office. The city attorney's <coughs> office will flag what establishments hold a special exception, and then we'll notify the zoning administrator to ensure that that information is included um, both before the planning commission and also before city council if any application is submitted for approval of a new special exception or for an amendment to a special exception. So that information will be included in your packet when you're voting on um, either recommending or approving a special exception request <coughs> or amendment. Yes. Uh, we just heard the presentation about the zoning code rewrite and the possibility of moving from special exception to conditional use. Would this just be synonymous? It would. We would just change the name to conditional use in this process. In this, I would personally, I'm, I, I like the idea, um, but I also, and I've talked to Doug about it, um, like to see us come up just like we have rules or we have requirements or whatever that people have to abide by in order to get a special exception or a conditional use permit, whatever it ends up being. Um, I would also like for us to work on um, a set of rules for those conditional use or special exception permits <coughs> to be revoked. And not only look at the meals tax issue, but also look at the calls for service that they've had at the location, the types of calls for service that they've had at the location. Um, also, if um, you've got locations that are next to businesses and you have a, that are, you know, quiet and peaceful by nature, but you have a boatload of calls for service at that one location, but right next to it is an eating and drinking establishment that, you know, never has a call for service but the laundromat or grocery store or Starbucks has like 50 calls for service. So I would like to see us not be arbitrary in, um, in, in revocation, but I would like to see us have, you know, the, these are the rules, this is a requirement for getting your special exception or your conditional <coughs> use. 
and this is the establishment that we expect you to maintain. And if you violate any combination, however, you know, number it is, whatever the combination is, or whatever the severity level is, um, that we um, are going to bring you back in for a hearing to have you potentially have you either get a warning or have your special exception or conditional use or uh, um, conditional use uh, permit revoked and, and actually have something in writing so that people understand what is required of them, that they don't just get it forever and ever and ever, I'm in, and they can just do whatever they want to do. Well, if I could speak to that, because although that wasn't part of the presentation tonight, I, could, I can tell you that um, the city manager, and we've been working with um, Deputy City Manager Goldsmith, has established um, what I would call an entertainment um, group that is actually um, meeting with um, folks that are applying for special exceptions prior to that application going before the Planning Commission and going before City Council. So that will give the opportunity of city staff, and that would include the fire marshal, the police, the zoning administrator, the commissioner of revenue, um, all those agencies would actually sit down with the operators, the people that were, are going to be the managers and the operators of the facility, and walk them through all the requirements. And zoning has also established a checklist of conditions and requirements, and those folks have to sign that sheet so that there's no um, um, misunderstanding or so that everybody is aware exactly the expectations for the operation of that establishment. So though it's not a part of how we collect delinquent meals taxes, that is um, proceeding in a parallel fashion um, under the umbrella of the entertainment group. And that will begin in the month, of, I believe, in the month of July. That's slated to begin. So a Angela, does that suffice, or would you like us to come back with a proposal like you'd ask for? I don't think it does. I mean, I get, I, I appreciate setting out the rules of what is expected because I think that's that's very good. But what is expected is one thing, but what will get you terminated is something else. You know, you can you, you can bend the rules and bend the rules and bend the rules, and so how many times do you bend the rule before we consider the rule broken, or what are the infractions? What are either we have this number of infractions for calls for service, or we have this number of infractions within, um, you know, uh, uh, the area, a radius, or whatever. What is it that if someone comes, if, if people complain to the council about an establishment, can we go down the list of this is what will get your special exception revoked and say this business <coughs> has violated this, this and this and this will and this is grounds for them being revoked and in addition to what you're giving them as their mm -hmm. standard of operating they also will be given what will get you revoked you know it's like if you speed too many times and you're a habitual offender they're going to take your license so what, <laughs> it's right. the same kind of theory what makes you a habitual offender of your special exception. Right. You know if you're 20 miles over the speed limit, that's reckless. That's reckless. Well, um, 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 this right. will take a little bit of work, so yeah. we'll 
draft something and yeah. come back? That same later? kind of thing is what I'm looking for so that it's very clear, it's not ambiguous, it's not, you know, all of a sudden we've got all these things. There's no warning process. There's, you know, there's nothing. I, that's what right. I would like to. I, I, I think I know yeah. what you want. That's what I'd like I, to I see. don't know what the draft will propose. But, okay. But um, some options. I mean, I think it, it would right. be worth counsel looking at what are options or even going so far, which is something that we could do in committee. But um, it's something that staff could look at. What do other cities do that have special exceptions or conditional use permits? And what are they using as guides and parameters for revocation? And we could, you know, it's no need to reinvent the wheel if we don't have to, but I think we need a wheel, and right. I don't think we have one. And we probably have as much experience or more than anybody with the special mm -hmm. exceptions for alcohol, which have been almost the only source of revocation. Okay. So drive-in tellers for banks have not been brought back. But right. we can rely upon that. It'll take us a little while, and we'll okay. um, ask to get back on the agenda for that. Okay. Thank you. Manager. All right. Thank you. Uh, Mayor, I'm going to ask uh, Jim Reddick uh, to come up and talk about uh, hurricane preparedness as we enter hurricane season. <clears throat> 30 minutes? Is that um, 30 um, seconds. seconds. <laughs> That's what I'm used to. Good At evening. Least you get to present this time. Exactly. <laughs> so, Mayor, members of council, Mr. Manager, thanks for uh, the opportunity for me to present to you on hurricane season. Uh, I just have a, a couple bullets, and, and I'll be very brief. The first is the forecast, which means absolutely nothing to us uh, because there's no correlation as far as where those storms might make landfall and at what intensity. So while this is a popular topic, um, it, it really it just takes one storm to be a bad season. So into the crux of it, um, first, and, and I didn't mention it as a bullet, the, um, the appointment of Brock Long, his confirmation hearing is supposed to be tomorrow as the FEMA administrator. Um, so whether that happens or not, uh, Team Norfolk is not without leadership. And to, to paraphrase uh, Tip O'Neill, former Speaker of the House, all disasters are local. And, and that's how we address it. We have leadership all throughout this room, this table, the community, uh, the governor, Secretary Moran, Dr. Stern at the state level. Um, we'll get the job done. So we'll work with all of our partners all throughout Team Norfolk to get it done. Uh, I will say that as strong as Team Norfolk is, we need more help. And I, I, I ask our uh, partners throughout the community, the houses of worship, private sector partners, to work with us and get into the, the structure that we have to communicate, to share and leverage resources, the talents, resources, and expertise that we have throughout the community. Because while we have a good team now, we can really be great with a lot more participation. Um, outreach and education. We had a fantastic time with Preparedness Night with the Norfolk Tides. The Tides have been a fantastic partner over the past five years. It's been an annual event. Uh, and we also have Preparedness Day this past weekend where we got a lot of folks to discuss their plans for hurricanes, evacuation, and preparedness. Uh, as it pertains to evacuation zones, that's a new uh, project from the state, knowyourzone.org. And it talks about, based on the, the angle of approach of the storm and whether it's parallel to the coast or if a, a, a northwesterly approach, uh, we're going to call for either evacuation of A, B, C, or D. Um, what I'll say for here in Norfolk is that will be the warning order. Those folks in whatever category we say should be on the ready, but we will still tactically 
uh, evacuate folks out of the area, and we'll use Norfolk Alert to do that. So one of the biggest messages continues to be to encourage folks to sign up for Norfolk Alert because that's how we will alert them whether or not they need to evacuate. Um, we continue to do training exercises. We can talk about that another time, but vulnerable populations I did want to mention. In the past, I presented on making sure that our plans are inclusive of individuals with various uh, disabilities, making sure that our plans aren't just for those who are the able-bodied, um, but there's also another vulnerable population which, again, council priority is those who are experiencing poverty or at the edge of poverty. And so working with the Senior Services Center, working with Norfolk Schools, their nutrition director, working with uh, Salvation Army and the Food Bank, really identifying ways that we can, during a known event, <clears throat> a storm coming our way, how we can identify those folks who are reliant on school breakfast, lunch, and dinners, uh, home-delivered meals, and how we can get them the sustenance they need before the storm, or certainly if it's a, an extended event, how we can get them those resources afterwards. So um, there's, there's too many examples of, of them being a forgotten group, uh, and we're, we're determined to not allow that to happen here. There's things that we can do now uh, in planning and relationship building to mitigate any type of uh, disaster that doesn't necessarily have to occur. Um, so with that, I, I know if I'm, I'm within my five minutes, oh, I'll, I'll order, or um, I'm sorry, I'll take any questions that you might have. All right. Thank you so much. Yeah. Andrea. Norfolk um, Alert? alert yes, Norfolk Alert. Um, are, have we done any uh, public outreach campaign on that outside of the generally before a storm comes, we get people to sign up, et cetera? I, I think we could do more. Um, and we had thought about even doing a test of the system, a, a, a actual notification of the test of annually, just letting folks know that we're going to try to ping every phone that we can. And do we know how many how many devices or, or numbers are signed up in the uh, It's wow, it's still under a thousand. I mean, there's for a community as large as we are, it's. I think that's a real uh, low hanging fruit opportunity to um, increase awareness and maybe have a campaign try and get, you know, listen up, I'll, I'll, I'll put my support against your support. <laughs> we've got a competition here. Yeah, but you know what, I think we up. lost a lot of people when we transferred, remember we transferred systems? We had, we had far more people and then we trans, we changed the system and the uh, information didn't pour over from the old system to the new system. People and so I think they're, 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 that not they're not, not, yep, that's exactly right. There are a lot of people who don't even know that they're not find out? on there. We'll keep getting the word out. I mean, we, we put it online, we make videos for it. Uh, we talk about it at civic leagues and houses of worship. Um, I mean, it's something, it's something you could just do quickly where you're- Oh, sure, right? yeah, you can text 888-777 and you'll be in. And you text your zip code? Yes. Okay. Yep. 888-777. That's it. What was that number again? 888-777. And what did you text? <laughs> <laughs> or you can go to, uh, well, you can go to norfolk.gov slash emergency, and you can do it online there. Or for those who don't rely on technology, you can simply call the uh, Norfolk Cares Center. Close. Um, I said that was, um, right here. Uh, Jim, why does it ask you to confirm that you receive the alerts? Because a lot, it'll, it'll tell us how effective the message might have been. Oh. Um, and the other thing is, once, once you acknowledge the receipt, it won't try to call you anymore. So it may have your text, <clears throat> your cell, your email, and all those oh, things. Okay. But as soon as you acknowledge, it'll stop trying to contact those other people. Unless there's a new message. Right. Okay. Right. That makes sense. Okay. 
Okay, Mr. Mayor. Hi, Mayor. We're, we're good. We're going to hold the uh, interagency, the Norfolk Interagency Consortium uh, for uh, next week. In lieu of Terry Wibley not being here, I know she's going to ask when we're going to do board appointments. Yeah, Alan so. and I are working on bringing that very soon. Okay. And also just um, when we have meetings like this, this I thought one of the reasons why we scheduled these day meetings was due to council concerns. And so we just need to make sure on future agendas yeah, that we, we, no, we... We have it. We're going to... Um, we have about we have 10 minutes. Yeah, it's just not on our agenda. Yeah, so we have, we have 10 minutes. Okay. So uh, I know Mr. Riddick wanted to start yeah. off, so yeah, we, we're good. We have yeah. 10 minutes. For those of you who didn't know, I was running for Commonwealth Attorney. Oh. <laughs> and I don't know how in the world this guy named Batliner has included me in a mail. You know, he, he started off by using our facilities to send out robocalls, and uh, we never addressed that <coughs> as a council. And now uh, he's included me in his flyer. And I probably could do just as well as a number of attorney as he. And uh, <clears throat> it just really annoys me that this guy would be so, I guess you say caustic, and that's probably the most reasonable word I could use. I could use a lot of other words. But, so I am running for common attorney. You know, so you can see this flyer right here. But this guy's bad news. And I'm wondering, Bernard, just like we had, uh, is there anything that a Commonwealth attorney could do that would make us liable? And you don't have to ask that question, answer that question now. But I'm a, a concern. Uh, this guy is using bud words uh, instead of, you know, all. He uses a word like us, which makes me think he's a Donald Trumpite, and that's a buzzword, you know. And so it just, it just bothers me uh, that we have a guy like that, and anybody can run for something. This guy's bad news. Batline is what I'm talking about. That's all I have. Yeah, I just, um, I know that um, Thelma did the presentation a few weeks ago about the um, roads and all the projects that are going on. I, I have a lot of concerns about the deterioration of our roads. Um, there, it's happened a lot faster than we're meeting the needs of resurfacing. And, uh, you know, a lady, a woman just uh, emailed me about Little Creek Road, and I know that there's some cement underneath Little Creek Road, which causes that, but there's buckling that's happening along that, and we're not getting to it fast enough to patch it up. We, we are getting the some roads. You know, part of Cromwell that was in bad shape was um, just redone. And I realize that we have a schedule but um, if we're not budgeting enough money to address the road repairs fast enough, then we need to know that. Um, and if, if it was state funding that was reduced, um, which I think was part of the problem, and we have to backfill it, which we're used to doing, we need to know that. But our roads are, are bad. Um, and when I, uh, Pete Gardner is really good at responding back and telling me the schedule, but then I find out that it's not until 2019 that a road's not going to be addressed. And when you go, and I realize a, a road doesn't have to be black like this to be a good road. I understand that. I'm not saying that they, all the roads have to look this way. But when there's major, um, they call it alligator cracking happening, those become potholes. Um, and then um, the places that do have potholes, I mean, it's bad, Doug. It's, yeah. it's, it's getting really bad. And I know we've been hit hard with 
um, snow um, and ice, and that's probably what's caused this. But if we're not getting an honest, um, uh, you know, uh, presentation on what our real needs are with this, we, we just need to know it, how bad it really is because we're going to start hearing it. And I, if I hit another pothole, I mean, it, it just, I try to avoid them, but they're, you know, everywhere. they're everywhere. And I understand we've got a lot of construction going on and that hurts too, um, the roads, but it, it's some roads that were resurfaced within the last five years, which, you know, they're major roads and they generally are in bad shape, you know, two or three years after it. And I, I just, I, I mean, I know Mr. Riddick's brought it up, but, um, I, I don't know if anybody we'll else get, feels we'll that get way. You in there, you know, does your office uh, compensate dr uh, drivers who might hit a pothole and they take a picture of it? Because I have a, a friend of mine who's lost a whole set of tires uh, at one time or another out near Forest Lawn Cemetery going towards Wolf Corner. Is there any compensation? The, the city does. Uh, this is coming out of your risk management fund okay. when the city is liable. Uh, and so if it's a pothole that we know about and we haven't done anything about it, it makes us uh, liable. Um, if it's due to somebody taking a metallic uh, drain cover off and we didn't know about it, then it, then we're not negligent. So it, 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 I'd say generally the answer is yes, but it depends somewhat on the facts. So we look at the facts of each claim. Are, we, are, we, um, are all of our pothole repairs being done by contractors? Or do we have our own in-house crew? We have a mixture of contract work, contract efforts, and also, uh, and also an, an in-house staff. Okay. And you know I love you, Dave. I, I'm not attacked. I just, I think that there's... No, it's not coming across that way. We'll, we'll right. get you, we'll get you a maintenance and sort even, of explanation of Even potholes that have been are. recently filled are caving in. So, I'm, I mean, I know there's sometimes those are quick patches, but I'm wondering, too, if the contractor is cutting corners in some places. I mean, I, I could point out five different intersections that I know that were recently done that are already caved in. And, and then we're going back and having to go back over them. But there's a, uh, at, right at Ocean View Beach Park, there is a pothole there that's the size, I mean, it could take out a, a big rig, the size, of, and it's been, it's had a cone in it for probably a month, and the cone has been run over and it's crushed down. In it. And I know that weather, you know, prevents us from getting out and doing this fast, but I just, I don't know if we're able to keep up with um, the deterioration of the road. I mean, I did this on medians, Doug, for like five years, and I finally got attention on the medians. So maybe if I do this for five years. We'll take that. <laughs> so Doug, when you, when, you, when you do the um, list, why don't you include um, all of the potholes and, and your recommendation Another column, whether you plan to replace or repair. Um, and so we know exactly what's going to happen. So we'll, we'll get you a summary of what we're doing, what we're spending, how the money flows, where we are, what and you need, what you need, if it's what we need, we'll have that conversation. Yeah. And just to confirm, yeah. if a citizen wants to report a pothole, they would go through Norfolk Cares. Mm -hmm. Is there an ability for them to use their uh, mobile device and take a picture and send that in? <coughs> James, I'm going to ask you that. Do, do we have the, the um, click, and, click and send opportunity? Yes, we do. Click it. They can, okay. And how would they find out? They would just go to, is it just an email to healthy neighborhoods, Healthy neighborhoods. At, at Norfolk.gov? Mm -hmm. for, those, for those who are listening, <laughs> just communicate that out. I like it. I like okay. it. Okay. Uh, Andrew, did you
the first thing is that um, in talking to um, the Huntersville Task Force, um, they brought up, and this might be something that actually leads into a, a HRT issue that I want to um, bring up as well, but um, what they were asking for is um, looking at the bus stop that is um, on Tidewater Drive right there at the cemetery. It's just a bus stop. There's no shelter, and people are like um, sitting, leaning up against the wall. They're just they're waiting. There's no covering. There's no nothing. And there's a community of people who use, it's not just an, an open bus shelter with, you know, just out in the middle of nowhere. It's community out there. So how can we get a shelter out there where people can find cover? They won't have to lean up against the wall. Where, where is that? Princess Anne? Right there Tower. at Princess Anne Tower Drive. Yeah. So they don't have to lean up against the wall. They don't have to, you know, be on the cemetery property wall or whatever. They can actually have shelter there. And um, one of the other places that was suggested was the Golf and Tower to drive um, uh, the further back. We're not at the current time <coughs> utilizing that um, old police station. So maybe a little bit further back off the street, that area could be used as a shelter for um, bus stop as well, since it's right there, they're right there. Um, and then the other thing is an update on um, HRT. Because I know we had a big, you know, we were mid-year with the shore up. So where are we with? So, so a couple things. We'll work with um, HRT in terms of the bus shelters. And I'll get you sort of a summary of what we're putting in place and what, what they cost and whatnot. We make that decision. At the end of the day, we are HRT, so we'll fund it. Um, in terms of that process, <clears throat> there's sort of parallel happening. You've got the, the finance, I think it's called the finance committee that's working through the issues uh, with HRT. Um, Again, in parallel, we've got the cities, uh, particularly Virginia Beach, Newport News, and um, Norfolk, uh, chaired by Thelma Drake, going through a process. And we, I think you all have seen, we sent a list of questions. And William Harrell's been great, but we sent three pages of questions of the things that we wanted to understand and, and, and work with them. So that process is very much underway, and we'll bring that back to you uh, when it's done. Andrew? Since we're on HRT, um, one of the things that happened in the last couple of years is Code for America created an app that people could find out real time where the bus schedules are. They worked, did some workarounds with the databases that currently existed, which was um, great service. Okay. But I understand talking with some of the Code for American folks that because of uh, a recent technology issue that happened, they shut down all of their databases and it's no longer accessible. Okay. So I think that that's something, if, if I were a regular user of the buses, um, I'd like to be able to have those real-time updates. So if we can get that back online sooner. So it's a Code for America app real-time yes, location of the buses. Yes, sir. All right. So did HRT shut it down, or did the Code for America HRT shut, shut down their access <coughs> to the database? Uh, was it costing? Was it a cost No, it's all, it's all it been free to HRT. They, huh. they did it as a specific tech project, but okay. they did it um, volunteer. Code for America is basically like Peace Corps okay. coding technologists. Okay. Um, so okay. that's cool. Okay. All right, we'll, find, we'll yeah. get an update for you. Okay, go ahead, Andrew. Um, I just wanted to um, thank you, Mr. Mayor, for your letter to intent uh, of intent to sign the Global Compact Mayor's on uh, climate change. I think um, it's exciting to see Norfolk being a leader on this issue, and um, I'm looking forward to I don't know what that means for Norfolk yet. I think we're still getting our arms around that, but I think it's, um, it's very impressive. And I've gotten a lot of incredibly positive feedback from my constituents on this, so thank you. And also, I owe uh, 
staff, especially Bernard and Nadia and others, helped uh, in the construction of that letter. So I, I can't take full credit without sharing uh, with uh, our legal team and, uh, and staff on the clerk's office. It was a team effort, and it was the right thing to do. Okay, Mr. Manager? Yeah. All right, that's it. All right, so we're adjourned.